There we go. There we go. There we go. Can you hear me? Yes. How are you guys? Oh. Oh. Hello there. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? Hey, can you can you guys hear? What? Oh. Um, here, here, and then up here. Uh, okay, there we go. Um, can everyone who's currently on the call hear me right now? Yeah, I can hear you. Yes. Is that a yes? Yes. Yes. Okay. On a scale of one to ten. 10 being like ASMR crisp and one being WTF is this. Where does my voice sound right now? Two. Something two. between three and four. Between three and four. Okay. This, is three and four the case for everyone else? I don't think so. I can barely hear you. Uh, you're, you're breaking the voice. Yeah, your voice is breaking.
you didn't have the hub spot, maybe you get like five feet and also you can't have to do that. How, how does this sound? Much better? It's still Worst. gravelly, but better. Yeah. Sorry, one more time? No, it is worse than before. Is it before? No, I, I can hear you at all. Uh, how about Three, no part. Crazy. No. Okay. Uh, what do we do here? You know what? Roll. <laughs> Audio, right? Always interesting. <laughs> I'm not really feeling confident in one area. It's a little ball, people just are grateful that you did it. Yeah, they'll appreciate the effort. I love the idea of <laughs> yeah, like a bottle, like. Told me that uh, that her uncle was one of the the founders of Bodil. Grandma's ninety, so I feel like timing wise, uh, they probably work. And she's on the bottle. I love that you're fact checking your grandma. By the way, just because it's plausible. David, it's the slight technical difficulties, but we're figuring it out. Thank you for uh, for hanging with us here. All we I thought I shook it off. Though, with an attitude, but no, no, no. I brought it in the house. The attitude, everything. <laughs> and frankly, this is something that we've been trying to uh, trying to sort out mm -hmm. for for a while. In fact, um, I think yeah, so he um he he said a friend I mean Grant, he's super cool. In fact, he said tennis was there not too long ago. And uh oh so we're gonna add like okay, and then Siani and Sophie Sears and uh Mission Impossible thing that had to happen with like 20 seconds left. Yeah. I'm doing good. Right. 
I'm just a cheerleader, <laughs> supporter. You've got this, but uh, important world. You're hacking. I did not read the time. All right. Want to just uh, go live here? Yeah, we're going to go. Actually, you know what? I can actually probably. Yeah, let's get it go live. I'm going to go set the camera. Um, just kick this thing off. Yeah, let's kick this thing off. All right. This one? We are live in three, two, one. <laughs> All right, welcome everybody to the 106th episode of Silicon Zombies, where you will find the best brains from the Bay to beyond. We connect live with brilliant thinkers, innovators, dignitaries, and all sorts of wonderful professionals to help you get the right information and the right contacts to get to the next level. Uh, it's Tuesday, April 4th, and we're super jazzed to, uh, to have Maria Laws with us, as well as Mr. Peter. Hello! I, I guess... <laughs> I guess we're taking the mics. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and actually, you know, we're getting, we're filming from from our new place in Menlo Park. So super excited for that. Do I go on tour? Do it. Also, wanted to do a quick thank you to our sponsors. We've got Premier Negocios. In fact, we have our Arturo, who is uh, who's a new a new father as of a couple days ago. So thank you. Hey, there we Thank you. <laughs> so congratulations, Arturo, on your beautiful baby girl. And so if you're looking for any kind of uh, experts that are build, building products, so be it web or mobile, check out uh, PromeroNegocios.com. We'll have the link in the footnotes. And excuse me, that's the codex. Primero Negocios uh, is uh, for local customers. So if you need digital marketing pros, uh, that's uh, that's your team. So super glad to have everybody here. And let's go ahead and get things kicked off uh, with Arturo. If you want to share a little bit about what you guys are building with Nicodex, Arturo, you have the floor. Thank you, Nick. Again, very excited. Yeah, excited. This first week has been really rough. Not sleeping because of the <laughs> newborn. <laughs> but yeah, we are doing a lot of work helping U.S. companies who want to grow their software development teams. Um, specifically, we've been working a lot with Californian companies, with Utah companies and Oregon companies who wants to take advantage of the same time zone, similar culture and best prices that we can have uh, with Mexican talent. So if you're looking to grow your business and you're trying to grow your software development team, uh, we're even working with AI, with all the prompt engineering thing and everything that's going on right now. We have been working with that a lot. So. Uh, just give us a shot, um, look us up, nicodex.com, and we'll we'll be happy to to have a conversation. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Peter. I'm just putting you off mute. Okay, perfect. Yeah. There we go. We're, we're figuring this thing out as we go. You'd think after 106 shows, we'd, we'd have our shit together, but that's okay. We're, we're having fun along here. Um, so super jazzed to to be uh, to have Maria on the show today. Hi. We're, we're going to be doing a, a deeper dive with with Maria a little bit later in her incredible background as as a teacher and a community builder. But uh, today it's, we're going to be kind of more community oriented. We've got about six or seven folks here, and we kind of have some interesting conversations around trends and 
and shout outs and maybe some technical help that folks need as well. But before we dive into that, um, Rich, you want to share a little bit about yourself? Sure. Hey, everyone. So nice to see you. And what a pleasure to sit beside these two. I told them they are a comedy routine. I'm just here to support. Uh, but really, my background is primarily in education, over 20 years teaching high school science and math, and then another five years at UC Berkeley teaching um, STEM majors, getting an ed minor. So sort of uh, teachers in, in progress. And I've also done quite a few interesting projects with SFMOMA, Genentech, Lockheed Martin, um, UC Berkeley and Stanford, getting to do things from everything from modern art, contemporary dance, uh, science from paleobiology to microfluidic chips. Um, it's really amazing life to be a lifelong learner. And my students and I have been really into that. Now, this past year, I've been at Ahura AI, an ed tech firm, focusing on how AI is going to disrupt and amplify, hopefully, some of the best parts of learning. Um, and so that's how I landed with these two over here, having some really amazing, creative, and inspiring conversations. Glad to be doing that with you, too. Awesome. Thank you so much, Maria. Um, we had a call this morning. It was, it was my first call of the day. And it, like, it like got me like charged up and excited. In fact, we were saying we, we wish we had recorded a call. So it's just like so dynamic, fascinating. But I'm sure we'll get into more of that. Um, let's uh, let's start with some of our guests here. So Jessica, if you wanna if you wanna kick us off here. Oh, it's Hi everyone, I love what oh, you're sorry. working on. That sounds amazing. Can you hear me? Okay, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. My name is Jessica. I'm the founder of Travel, the home of AI travel startups. So we're in fundraising mode right now. If anyone wants to get involved, we plan to. Uh, use a lot of uh, a, a pretty awesome uh, hand curated tech stack include uh, that'll enable normal travel as well as volunteering learning digital nomad trips and more all, all with travel so it's going to be a, a, a global startup but it's going to feel really fresh like the moment we launch so yeah we're, we're still looking uh, for investors to kick off the the the, the platform Fantastic. And if folks want to learn more, what uh, what website can they go to or how can they how can they check it out? Oh, yeah, that's great. Uh, you can go to travel.one or my LinkedIn profile, which is uh, uh, Jessica Breed um, on, at LinkedIn. Um, but the website, yeah, the website is travel.one. Sorry. Oh, do you, okay, can you, you want to spell that for us for the audience yeah, here? Yeah. T-R-E-V-L dot one and that's just our, our our page where if you want to get on our interest list uh you know and and know all about the launch uh, updates we're live with that wonderful thank you so much jessica and great to see you last night we, we were just downtown palo alto and got to see dan kotke uh one of the super early guys at apple computer and uh and keith Koo as well they gave a, a wonderful talk at la marca uh, yeah that, that talk was amazing last night right yeah yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. In fact, we're gonna we're gonna get into a little bit about that, like you know, maybe favorite uh, favorite nuggets of wisdom or or good stories that that you heard from Dan and Keith. But before we jump into that, uh, Johnny uh, Johnny Maximin of Hi Parker, uh, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, yeah, great to be here. You know, it's uh, interesting to be uh, in the the zombie land of Silicon Zombie, um, <laughs> especially considering my favorite, uh, latte and coffee in the world. Everywhere I've ever traveled is called a golden zombie. And it's from a place called zombie runner in Palo Alto on California Avenue. So if you haven't tried it, it's probably got one of the healthiest coffee drinks, uh, with ginger and turmeric that is in just phenomenal. 
And, and if you mention Pipe Parker, you get 10% off every drink. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I still get these loyalty points. I'll just show up and they're like, hey, you just redeemed, you know, like half of whatever it is for the latte. But uh, yeah, yeah, hopefully we'll get that. Speaking of, uh, speaking of food kickbacks, isn't there, a, isn't there an ice sandwich that's named after you, Johnny? Yeah, yeah, number 43, uh, called Giancarlo, my son. Um, yeah, I've known Ike for a while, helped with him a while back, and, you know, he's he. we created a sandwich uh, for myself. We actually created three, but only one was accepted since two, uh, uh, the first two were too similar to uh, to, to other Ike loyalists. <laughs> Fantastic. What's, what's in the sandwich, out of curiosity? Uh, it's got turkey, pesto, avocado, cucumber, tomato, and uh, a dirty sauce, which is this garlic aioli spread on a par-baked bread. So they make it fresh when you get there. Gosh, that sounds delicious. Yeah, I'll take. Oh, it. little cream cheese, little cream cheese. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Johnny. And and uh, just real real quick for the audience, what are you building, and, and how can folks learn more? Yeah, yeah. I was like, should I pepper that in now or, or wait? Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're keeping on the sandwich verbiage. Okay. Yeah, let me spread it on here. So uh, it is we're building an AI system on computer vision uh, to help parking. And so what we found is the average facility saves about uh, 64 football fields of paper waste a month that we've been able to apply our technology to. And we're we're able to do that with really cutting edge, uh, edge being the pun in there, um, uh, accuracy. So that way, every car that goes in and out, uh, we treat it and create it like a credit card. Um, so that way, it doesn't require any new hardware in this world, doesn't require all uh, any new waste, uh, but rather we're kind of this perfect asset management class of technology. So one box and two cameras we create out of our manufacturing facility here uh, in Redwood City, and uh, it can light up for any hospital, hotel, um, or any mixed-use building, or any place that needs a car to rest. Yeah, you guys just uh, recently became uh, uh, cash flow positive, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. So almost, almost, almost. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll hold the gong. We'll hold the gong for a little bit longer. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, DG, you're next. Kick us off here. Hey guys. Uh... So I'm, I'm on this show for the first time, so go easy on me, okay? Devesh Ginodia, I think I've, I've, I've known Nick for probably, how long has it been? Like seven, eight years, 10 years? Yeah, so it's been a decade. Uh, but I've worked with a company called EPAM. It's one of the fastest growing organizations uh, publicly traded on NYSE. Uh, I lead their data and analytics practice. Um, and the coolest product that I've been working on right now is natural language-driven analytics. So gone are the days when uh, business would ask for a report or data, and then you had to spend like three months looking for the data and coming up with that uh, information. Now all of that could be translated into seconds or minutes. I remember when I did this thing for a large uh, financial services organization with the red logo. Um, uh, it, it, uh, it took me three years. <laughs> it took me three years to build an enterprise profitability dashboard, and now it could be done in minutes. So that's, that's something I'm working on right now. Wow. And, and Devesh, by the way, is, is one of the most connected <laughs> folks I know, uh, and it, he graciously had connected us to some very senior folks 
at uh, Wells uh, years ago. Um, and it turns out uh, we were a little bit too early to, to capitalize on that relationship, but uh, it, it's very helpful to have those kind of people that help people build the bridge. Um, so in fact, that's one of the things that we like to do here as well. So um, if, if there are any specific introductions that, that we could make for anybody that's listening, please feel free to, to reach out. Um, it's just to kind of to, to get us uh, kicked off for, for the show, Marit, like tell us a little bit more about uh, the, the dynamic. Uh, you said you, know, you were a teacher for a long time, then you transitioned into technology. There must have been some remarkable lessons that, that you learned from teaching that you can apply. In fact, you were telling me about some of those this morning. Can, can, we, can, we, walk, can we walk down that for a second? You know, it's been such, actually, just to take it back a step, moving from something that I have been feeling very confident about, had many degrees in, lots of experiences, into a place that's brand new. I have often felt like I am speaking another language and my job is to quickly just search for new terms on my phone. So for me, my first thing has been as a learner, like, oh, this is what this feels like when you're not the expert in the room. And it's definitely gonna lead into the discomfort, right? But one of the best things about working in the business world is I've been so impressed with what kinds of learners, particularly in tech world, right, in innovation land, that the curiosity and the um, willingness and ability to ask for support or just for outside ideas, just to add to what you already have. And that sort of sense of advocating as a learner um, for, hey, what are you seeing from a different perspective than I'm seeing? So for example, um, coming into my company, I'm also in addition to doing stuff on product development about how to make this really learner-centered experience, um, what kind of nudges can we give, what does the science learning tell us that learners need if they're learning online alone. But the other part that I didn't know is that I'm part of the machine learning team where I help them sort of actually collect data, analyze the data, and work from there. And so the idea of transferable skills is really leaning into naming what your transferable skills are. The things that come with you no matter what the topic, no matter what the time frame that you can apply in a creative or innovative way mm. has been um, really affirming um, and, and very powerful experience that even now I do work um, on two different projects at my high school just as a volunteer. I'm working with a Stanford project, a research project in leadership, and then some, some AI work with students trying to build that pipeline. Um, and it's amazing how transferable it is to tell them the things they're already doing that could make their way into other spaces beyond a classroom, beyond a college resume. And that's been uh, very exciting to get to do. So question, like, how do you, I, I'm imagining like it takes a few, like a few years of college and of, of university to get, to start doing machine learning. How do you approach that subject with like a high school kid? Um, well, you don't start with that first, right? So, and you probably all know this as well, like one of the biggest things that seems to stop people in STEM. So I'll be, I'll just give you my background. I was a music major before I was a science major and I do have a professional dance background, right? I've traveled and, and performed in more than a few countries doing a particular kind of dance. And I came to science because uh, it was a challenge. I like challenges. I'll be honest, I'm kind of competitive. I want to do a thing. Uh, and also, it didn't hurt that my mother was a trained chemist. So oh. what that means is, and my mother is, you know, from a different generation, I looked up how many women her her from her time frame have chemistry degrees, and it's less than 3%. So she's already sort of in a, a niche space, and she brought that into the house, right? Like, 
Um, I'm sure she was whispering in my ear more than a few times. Please keep that as a hobby and move into something <laughs> where you won't live with us later. I know that's a different time now. You can make a living in ways that she couldn't see. But this idea being that before you teach machine learning, mm -hmm. you have to think about how do you prep kids to see themselves in all the roles that they don't even know about yet. You know, those boxes get real small, real quick. And mm -hmm. students check out and go, oh, no, that's not for me. I, a, I don't like it. Or B, I know I'm not good at that. I'm not good at whatever. So building up that muscle of engage and persist. Be curious. Who knows what you're good at? Let's go find out. Okay, that's a great try. Like the language around mindset. Um, I know that may sound kind of cheesy. And of course, there are hard skills to learn. But you can learn them, uh, particularly if you are the kind of mindset, which I really got from my mother sort of showing it. And then being an athlete myself with the professional dance life, you fall down literally and oh. you need to get up like at that moment and just like get back to it. Like how do you bring that to the room where you just remind them that whatever the challenges are, that's where we are right now. That's expected. And let's keep moving. Let's move to the next phase. Right. So, yeah. And then, of course, as always, you know. The things that we all know that you do, whether you're working with someone at work as their mentor, um, a new hire, whether you're working with a high school or a college student, or even for me working with adults as well, you think about the back end scope and sequence. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you don't give them the entire like 80 page handbook on how to do machine learning, which I, or you don't tell them to go on YouTube and watch the entire 12 hour <laughs> course. Okay. Like that's a very rare person that's going to be like in yeah. it for that. You break it up into navigable chunks and you work from there. You build from there. Is you mentioned uh, like both are needed, the hard the hard skills and the soft skills. Like obviously the hard skills are important too, but if if the student is not in a mindset to be open to learning the, mm -hmm. the hard skills, then it's that's kind of like a, a prerequisite. You, so you mentioned um, uh, you mentioned the the ability to be able to ask for for help is important. Do you think that's specific to the Silicon Valley? Or is that kind of everywhere? Or I I feel like it's in innovative spaces. But I have maybe, an opinion on this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want to hear it though because you know I'm coming from the outside and I do work with other adults in other industries. Um, I develop kind of other content for other folks as a contractor. I've worked with PhDs to kind of help some of the professional development there around education. And I also work with actual teachers on the regular, but there's something special about working with people, particularly in this sort of tech engineering space where innovation moves so fast. You can't wait till it's perfect before you move to the next step. You've got to give it a try. It's probably not going to work this time, but it gets you Close to the next. Like I right. do feel like the only way you move at the speed you need to uh, for the work that we're all doing, even on this call, the only way that you stay ahead of the curve or even keep up with the curve is to engage, embrace the people around you that may have something that you might have missed or could at least enhance where you already were. So to me, it feels special here. Um, but I don't know how you're feeling yeah, about you, that. What do you think? So I I don't know if you remember this, but when we were at 360. Um, there was old we had a space, old cohort space where we met. Yeah, actually, uh, we met this gentleman who was talking about the who was there giving a talk, trying to advertise Portugal as the destination for the next Silicon Valley, yeah. and he mentioned um, th that a Silicon Valley copycat has to have three things: one, a university where where companies can pull bright minds from. Yeah. Two, um, it has to have a culture of uh, failure, a culture of like acceptance of failure. Mm -hmm. 
And three, it has to have, I forgot what the third one was, but really what stuck out to me was culture of failure. Yeah. Uh, and I compare this a lot actually to the startup community in Germany. China. Okay. In <laughs> Germany. In Germany. I mean, yeah. sure, I've just been to China more often. Sure. So that's where I'm coming from. And the and I heard from like talking to my relatives and my dad and from a lot of places where the and the consensus is like Chinese startups are Chinese companies are really good at taking things from like one to a thousand, mm-hmm. but they're not really good at taking things from zero to one. Yeah. And I, it kind of clicked recently that the zero to one is really hard because it takes a lot of failure. It takes a lot of trial and error. It takes a lot of imagination. It takes a lot of like really just um, fearlessness of saying like, Hey, I see an opportunity here. I'm going to try to do this and I'm going to adjust in the, or pivot along the way. Right. Whereas, and in a lot of other countries, they, I don't know if it has to do with them being a collectivist culture more or an individualistic culture less, but there's just a lot of resistance to change on the, on that front. Or, or maybe or getting, not, getting in trouble. Like if you do, for example, we had, we had Dr. Aka on just last week and, you know, Musa was sharing a little bit about the, the, the startup culture in, in West Africa. And a lot of times it's the, the mindset is you don't want to try new things because you might get punished for it. And I, th- I think from an innovation standpoint, that's something that entrepreneurs are really pretty open to. Devesh, what, what have you found in, in India? Is, uh, is, the, is the startup mindset one that uh, is, is prevalent? Uh, help us understand. Um, there's actually like, Definitely the fragmentation is there, right? But I think what I'm observing in India is uh, the government bodies have started to take charge in organizing and breaking the silos and breaking the fragments a a little bit, right? Or or bringing the fragments together into a unified approach. Um, There are are a number of organizations that have come up, uh, started to help from venture capitalism perspective, uh, they've created uh, seed funding all the way to like Series A, Series B, Series C financing rounds. Um, uh, uh, th- there are accelerators that have been created to start from like idea all the way to uh, product market fit. And then on the other side, they're also creating demand within the government bodies. So to improve and innovate from the inside and they're inviting all these startups to actually try it out, right? Um, so that has created a very uh, productive environment in India, but I would still say the lack of resources in terms of you know uh, the the funding that is available to them is still limited, and that's why I'm taking a lot of FDIs uh, out of Silicon Valley and connecting the dots. People who are interested in uh, investing in bright minds, uh, people who are persistent and resilient, and they'll get shit done no matter what, um, and, and who want to invest in those kind of uh, behaviors. Uh, those are the kind of dots that I'm connecting right but now. Dinesh, don't you think that's a, a little bit of a cop-out, saying we, just, we don't have enough money or investors, um, because India is one of the largest economies in the globe? Well, I, I think so, but in, in a number of ways, like think about it, right? So when, when people start investing in a startup, they're, they're investing their own time and energy and resources, and they've got to sustain a, number, like a particular duration 
uh, and not everyone has the amount of resources to sustain that time frame while they're developing a product until they can start becoming cash flow uh, cash flow rich or cash flow positive. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you have an investment, you are you are not really uh, trying to struggle in the wrong areas. Let me just put it that way. If you've got a bright idea and you believe that you you can create a product, you have the skill sets and resiliency to create a product that will work in the marketplace, then all you need to do is spend time on building the product and bringing it to the market and collect customer feedback and seeing like, you know, how can you address that market a little bit better instead of just waiting around for funding and or not investing time or looking for jobs that you don't really are interested in doing uh, just to earn a livelihood. That's what I that's what I meant. Uh, but okay. in another way, you could you could look at it as a, as a cop out for sure. Gotcha. Um, and, and Arturo, tell us a little bit about the uh, the startup ecosystem and in the state of innovation in in Mexico. Um, I think there are several. As there's like the Silicon Valley in the United States, there's uh, the Silicon Valley in Mexico that it was supposed to be Guadalajara. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, so Guadalajara is a really big tech ecosystem in Mexico. Uh, obviously, Mexico City is another one, and Monterrey is the other one that is growing a lot. Um, specifically, us in Hermosillo are trying to grow that uh, with the companion of the family office that, that we've talked about. Um, but I think that as in India, the the people or students or people who are trying to create new things are often discouraged to do it because they don't have the fundings to do it. And there's not a lot of uh, like angel investors and a lot of um, seed investors in the beginning uh, who can go with those kind of ideas at the beginning and they just try to, I don't know, start earning money. So they just go ahead and find that job uh, where they can pay their bills and everything. Uh, But I think there's people who are like putting a lot of effort into growing the ecosystem. I think it's just a matter of time and finding the right people. So the ecosystem can really grow in the terms that we really want it to, to go. Yeah, that's well put. I mean, especially if you consider like the very early stages, finding the right co-founder is so crucial. I know that Y Combinator uh, is is having a lot of success in helping folks find the find the right co-founder, um, and maybe even like unique channels like TikTok. Like maybe are are folks uh, finding new information or new new teams on TikTok? I mean, no. No, no, no. Tick, TikTok is at the end of the day still. <laughs> hey, uh, thank you for the honesty. <laughs> I mean, me, I don't, you know what? I don't know. I don't know if someone has found their CTO on TikTok. It's the, it is a, yeah, what, what, what are they, 150 million users and growing, maybe? Yeah. So maybe someone has, yeah. and we don't know, know it yet. But um, at least, on, so, I mean, I can tell you the highlights on a lot of the various uh, communities, like, for example, startup TikTok right now is talk is talking about how a lot of roles in companies are not needed. For example, the, the ongoing like joke, middle management. Well, the ongoing joke on the most like tech tech 
TikTok, Silicon Valley TikTok, and startup TikTok is like, what does a consultant do? Right, right. <laughs> or, I, I or like uh, a, a project manager is basically an adult baby That's right. like another talking point. Um, and also, take them out of the equation, then you see real quickly what they do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. Or don't. Exactly. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think that's well said. Yeah, everyone you, you, thinks they don't need a PM until they don't have one. Yeah. There's a reason why that job became a job. <laughs> yeah, you know, you could you could say the same thing about parents, and you until you take take them out of the equation, and you find yeah. out exactly where exactly. you land or where you sit. Right? That's actually a really good point. You say the same thing about parents until, yeah. until you don't. Have one. Right. Yeah, speaking of, speaking of TikTok, uh, I, so I have a TikTok joke. So so the CEO of, of TikTok is is oh, in front of a congressional hearing, and he says, uh, "Mr. Senator, we do not spy." On Americans. Also, your wife says you got to pick up a gallon of milk. <laughs> so, um, so, I feel like you need intro music just for the joke moment. I don't feel like we had a, a minute to really get Sorry, Nick, transition is this, into Is this it. joke yeah. going to connect to my wife? It's live. It's, it's, it's live. Yeah. It's 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 it, it doesn't connect to <laughs> No, it's perfect, but I feel like we need like yeah. a yes, no question. Like, I'm, re I'm, re I'm reclaiming my time. I'm reclaiming my time. <laughs> Let's see, that was, that was one of the trending, trending things as well that you shared recently. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and then Johnny, let's uh, let's get your, your feedback here. I, I know you're plugged into the startup community. You uh, you you help a lot of different founders as well. So, what, what are you finding from a from an innovation perspective? What's where are things pivoting? Where are changing? Where are they changing? And how can we how can we grow from here? Oh man, I mean, it's so hard to answer these types of questions without putting your own internal bias. Um, so let me inter interject my own internal bias. Um, so I'd say. From, from everything that I've, I've seen, it's uh, putting a lot of feature freezes, being really more realistic currently and, you know, honing in on what it is that makes, you know, your value tick um, and being more pressure sensitive. If it, wasn't, if it wasn't already before, more pressure sensitive to what you can really provide value into and, um, and making sure you can start to kind of mine that. And that's not to trigger your cryptocurrency uh, interest, uh, but rather, you know, really trigger what was happening in Silicon Valley, right? The gold rush over here. And I think, you know, if you really look into what you can kind of do with understanding what you can really give right now versus what you can give in realistic product sprints, you can really help as a technologist in the world to deliver something that's real and not vaporware. Um, so out of everyone, what they're trying to provide is more into the lines of what can you do with your current team, not a future team? What can you give? And then, um, you know, finding a product market fit more quickly. Uh, but that's kind of been the core of Silicon Valley. So I feel like it's just more sensitive into this area. Um, and I think if you've got a product that can deliver something that can work off of cash flow with clients. Most clients are really sensitive to increased revenue. It doesn't matter where they are, right? We've got clients from healthcare. We've got clients with very secure buildings and clients in uh, um, hospitality experiences. And all of them are saying the same thing, increase revenue, be the CFO's best friend. And then if you can kind of uh, harbinge really good quality in those areas, I think then you can kind of find yourself a good niche to really just dig deep right don't dig wide dig deep into providing a good expertise I like yeah. that. I like that. 
I mean, finding a, a niching is always like a very solid, solid strategy, whether it's for marketing or whether it's just building, like crafting a. What's, it's a, it's a stronger what's, narrative. Yeah. Because then you can connect. Like, I, I remember a few years ago when we were scaling Willow, I was talking to, you know, five to 10 founders a day, six to seven days a week. And at the end, of our call, I would always say, like, how can I help you? Like, who's the ideal target customer? And so oh, we can, you know, we can work with anybody. And it's just, it waters down the message. It makes it difficult for people to figure out who exactly they can connect you with. Um, is that, is that similar? Yeah, with the I'm, I'm thinking of this because I know for our company, what, what we're creating isn't intended for a niche. It's, a, it's we're trying to take over the planet with this thing. I'm, I'm just going beyond. Like yeah. we're, we're looking at I mean, in the it. best way. Yeah. It's AI for good, all the things, but we really are seeing applications across. So I know the goal is to find that test case and then build out from there. But the other part to it is thinking about, especially with emerging technologies like AI or anything else related to Gen I or what have you, you do have to sort of, you know, teach your folks what, it's not that you're just going to say, here's our value. You actually have to do quite a bit of context building around what this actually is. Like it feels like in the past two months with the chat box things happening, mm. more people have a more of an understanding about exactly what Gen AI can do because they're playing with it themselves. But this past year before that, there was just a lot of teaching um, and thinking about um, these calls in, in that way before you could even get to the point where you could share your value because it was so disconnected from where they were in terms of understanding the basis of the technology. It was hard to make the connection. I'm not saying that was across the board, but it was something yeah. that we were having a lot of conversations around. How do you prepare people, whether emotionally or cognitively to like, understand the value that you're bringing um, before you actually craft that, that you know, message. That's actually a really interesting thing because when, uh, before before Intel, I was driven where, uh, and I essentially was teaching people, uh, teaching its users <laughs> basics uh, in, um, in online marketing. And something I would tell them is that if, that your, like their involvement on stuff like TikTok and you in shorts, that's all like purely marketing purposes. But if you really want it to get people to trust you, then they have to pursue you. And like I would tell them that like uh, like using YouTube and whatever it is that you're teaching them will push the algorithm will push like will push them to get more people of like-minded people. Therefore you're essentially using the algorithm itself to help create a niche that you didn't know you needed. That's that's so like that that can take a while. Yeah. And for yeah. like for Ahura, for example, like when the average contract value is it's a I mean, that can make sense. And and I and I think it does. But what about for like a consumer product where it's more transactional, where maybe you want to give an example I can I, I will do this real quick. I'm so good at this. Um, <laughs> give, give me a consumer product and I will tell you how to make you like do what I just said. Sure. 
okay. that. So with Legos, um, you can have a channel that like with and with all of this, I always tell, tell people make long form content first, and then with long form content, like slice it and dice it into short forms. Yeah. That gives you two percent of a short form video pull up platform strategy. So um, when you have so with your long form, you can. Can I finish? Thank you. I'm so excited. I'm gonna the window. He's so excited to tell me. You can create a whole channel about like building a Lego. Following the instructions, you can do two ways to play Lego, right? You can follow the instructions, and you can not follow the instructions, right? Well, you can have a whole channel of you following the instructions and doing an ASMR thing, or Lego challenge where you literally pull out a card and then you've got yeah, exactly. Maybe people you can even like you can live stream, yeah, you can share photos of them they did. Yeah, you can live stream your own build, right? That's one. Or you could just say like, "Hey, I bought this Lego on Poplar, 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 Right? That's that second one. Okay. And then all of that is a tutorial. It is a lesson. Like that's long form. That's yeah. ten minute videos yeah, yeah, on YouTube. Yeah. And then you could even you could speed it up. You could time lapse it. That ten minutes suddenly becomes thirty seconds to be put on um, whatever channel, TikTok, Reels, Shorts, whatever. Yeah. Um, or you can create like you could always do part one, part two, part three, like all of them up. Uh, and one little technique could be done. So it's on TikTok. I love that you say that. Let's have it back to education. I was thinking about something about this. You know, one of the things. So I also have a I have a science degree, but I have an art degree as well, um, and visual art, and 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 how to teach the visual art. Um, are not anything you will see anywhere of the channels that we are now discussing. But this idea of um, what, what we, when I'm with artist friends, what we talk about is this idea of what is learning, what makes learning memorable, like what's the memory you're making so that when someone is thinking of, again, this Lego challenge, they're remembering embedded in that moment of how silly it was, they made whatever, a turn on the pop or, you know, whatever. Or that, you know, again, sort of like they each had a cake challenge, they all did a cake with the same direction, they all came out wrong. We're different, that kind of thing. You're building up memory, and when you have a learning memory, it has many aspects to it beyond just what you learned, how to make something interesting, now you've got a trusted teacher who, when he speaks again on his channel, you're going to be watching. So you right. now build a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. You now got this community, as you were just talking about. And now you're starting to think about whether you mentor or not. You're thinking about some other aspects of the Legos, like why they picked this. You do some transdisciplinary research, like who actually came up with these things? I get the primary colors, but no other shapes. Really, we got to go with squares. Anything else we can do with this? How can we morph it? Like there's a lot of different layers of making a memory that's related to learning. Because right now, all of you have a memory right now from when you were young, a learning memory, and you don't know why it's still there. Mine is, for whatever reason, in kindergarten, our class was on stage and we were churning butter. I don't know why. I'm not sure what was happening there. It is such an exciting memory even now. And so I unpacked for myself, why did that stay with me? What were the things that made that live well beyond its you know, shelf life, no pun intended, in my mind wow. now? So that memory of learning is what you are really doing. Yeah. And you're also building trust mm. with your audience. You're showing some personality. Yeah. Like there's some things there. I'm ready for us to start our YouTube channel, not necessarily with Legos, <laughs> but maybe sure. right after this. So. I, I love that there was a, a, such, a, such a deep level of, of reflection. Like, what does uh, Socrates say? The unexamined life is not worth living. So 
But that's you're a profound thinker. I mean, you're part of your part of your career has been helping people think about themselves in the process well, of learning. So after our call this morning, which can I just say, this is the best way to wake up. A phone call with anyone <laughs> on this little couch here is going to get you going for weeks. Like even if the rest of the day is crabby and grumpy, it won't be with these two. Yeah. But there were two things that I was thinking about when we ended our call, and one of them is that when I first got to Agora, they asked me to create some content around the science of learning, like from all of my career and stuff like this, like. What would it be that if you had a handbook, what would it what would it contain about how to be the best student ever, whether it's in school or not, right? And what was interesting is I took some time to compile this. Um, it's going to be helping with our product development team as well, and just for us in our language about how we talk to, to folks out in the world about what we're trying to do. And it was interesting because they came up, it kind of like organized itself into like six modules, I guess you'd say, but only one of them was about how to study. All the others were the things you do before you sit down, to do a thing. And the most important one came after, and that's that reflection part where you try to take whatever it is that you learn and make it fit into a broader scheme or a broader purpose, if that makes sense. Like, you know, the Lego thing is not about the Legos. No one's making a career, or maybe you could now, I don't know, yeah, on the Legos. But there was something else <laughs> that you constructed besides yeah. this, uh, this thing. So putting it to purpose, and that's what you and I were talking about this morning, about when I look back at even things that were hard, or I don't really think it was probably worth my time in terms of outcome or money spent, there's, there are lessons to be learned that fit into a broader framework um, that I can take with me. So that was the first thing. The second thing I thought of when you and I were talking, because you asked me a question, mm -hmm. you asked me something about how everything we've been talking about works in my relationship with like a direct supervisor, as opposed to me being a teacher telling someone, like, how does this translate the lessons learned here? And one of the things I said to you is that part of reflecting is naming things. Like, not like I did a thing, I had an experience, but you start to use some more formal language around it, which makes it something you can talk to others about more. Um, and it also kind of helps you ask for it if you want more of it. So we were talking about feedback stuff and I was mentioning mm. that um, my direct supervisor, one of our co-founders is so excellent about saying, hey, I'm getting you this thing to do. I know you already have a tax list of many other things to do, um, but the reason why I'm giving it to you is it's going to be a chance for you to, to develop this particular thing. And by elevating it, by naming it, it changed my relationship to, otherwise it's going to be a thing on my list. There was a lot of things on the list. Yeah. But the way that he framed it, he made it part of a narrative that's bigger than the moment, bigger than the product, and it's bigger than my role in the company. It's about myself, my life, my contribution. Of the so that, that reflective place is like, it helps people engage and persist through machine learning when it's hard, that 12 hour course on YouTube, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you're connected to both, uh, you're having some sort of novelty experience, which is fun, or you're having a connection to purpose, hopefully you have both, that helps you engage and persist through challenges well beyond what folks would predict you would do. True. Like there are certain, most uh, college courses I've taken, that were science-based, so I used to be a bio major, it was really, really hard, but there were a few uh, professors where I could listen to them talk about anything. Yeah. And it's just because they have such an interesting relationship with the subject matter and like the way they talk about it is yeah. incredibly engaging. It's personal, it's not yeah. a tech, it's a personal experience and it's a memory experience, right? They're bringing all that with them. I will say one of the things that I always think about that I think about from our phone call this morning about how the people that I'm working for and with are 
helping me to see that everything we do is to push not only us forward, but me personally forward. It's really quite powerful. At the same time, like humanity right. We're, and this is Yeah. We're probably connected, I'm sure. Absolutely. And I'm sure that's true of every job, right? Like you gain skills, but to name it so formally really just elevates every conversation about it. It just changes the energy, the dynamic differently. And I will say that with my high school students in particular, I think that um, college students, not quite as much. The, the content was so engaging. And they were already like, these are top 10%, you know, already to even get into the program. So, you know, they were already there with skill set. This was really about just helping them like fly. But for high school students, you see a whole range of sort of engagement, maturity level and, and skill set at that point. And it was just really something interesting about taking the language less in a linear fashion. Like this isn't about the skill, but we're trying to do something bigger here. Like for you, um, let's see, let's explore all the things you're good at. Like using this sort of, I guess, sort of like, Tony, Tony Robbins kind of language may sound cheesy, but it, it just, it drew out a different it vibe. It, it, it created a different space. It, and I know you've been on both sides of that coin because you were a teacher on a, a Saturday when middle schoolers showed up, not because they had to, but because they wanted to. Like, yeah. what was the... What was the unlock that you figured yeah. out to connect and make them yeah. excited about? Learning? So I've had two experiences like this that um, that Nick is talking about. One is um, before the pandemic, I was sort of interested in sort of storytelling, which I know is a thing we all talk about in <laughs> this area of business general because so it is critical. <laughs> and so I found I created this. I, I'm not good at titles or anything, so this is not the most exciting. But I called it the storytelling project. I'm sorry, I'm not a marketer. Yeah. I need a little bit more. I just went with linear. This is what it is. But I didn't really have like an idea. Of what I wanted to do with it. I had just gotten this degree in art and I'm like, I need to put this to work since I'm not teaching a class on art. How do I engage students in like artistic thinking and practices that's really about creativity that you can apply anywhere. Um, and so uh, they're super busy. They don't have time for lunch. They got boyfriends and, and clubs and all kinds of stuff and homework they didn't do that's due after lunch. So uh, I thought, you know what? I'm just gonna come to school on Saturdays for two hours. I'm gonna tell them the room's open. I'll invite like 20 kids. We'll see who shows up and maybe they'll make friends. And so that's what happened. So for literally an entire year, every Saturday from 12 to 2, can you believe this? High school students coming wow. to school for something that's not graded, nor is it, there's no sports or a competition. And every time it was something novel, something novel, something special. We knew this wasn't a class, but they were engaged because they came. So by showing up, we already had some buy-in. And then every time I brought something weird, different, new that they hadn't seen before, um, and, or that would never make it into a classroom in terms of art or questions. And then I engaged them as partners because I didn't know what I was doing either. So it was very uh, hard for me to be bossing people around. Um, and so when you leave space for others to take the lead, it's vacuum, somebody's got to. Right. So somebody does. And yeah. it's often an unlikely person in comparison to the classroom space where everybody already knows who's supposed to be yeah. filling that space, whether it be the teacher. I appreciate teacher. the humility, but you obviously didn't know what you did. It was kind of magical. Don't don't laugh at me. That's not a word I would normally use. But it was like it. So so the first year we did it, I, did, I came up with this idea. I directed the first one because nobody knew what we were doing. So I figured one was the guy try. I'll step up to the leadership role. Right. And we did this project where they I asked them to interview an elder, but not about their history, but through music. So music of their childhood, music that's memorable, like memorable moment mm -hmm. music, music of church and school, like that kind of thing. And then they could build a project any way they want to tell that story that their family told them. And the two things they told me is that by asking through music, 
Uh, people said more than if you just said, tell me something hard or tell me about this horrible time. The other thing that they did is if you looked at the projects, one kid created like an algorithm and did a whole like web app where you clicked on things and then the things came up. Another student um, created like digital art. Another student did a dance. Like it was all over the place wow. and amazing. Um, one kid learned what a mixtape is. So any of you in here that is aware of what a mixtape is, he said, yeah, my parents met because my dad gave my mom something called a, they asked him in, in their home language, like, what was that called? A mixtape and every parent and every teacher in the room was like, oh That's yeah, amazing. we know mixtape. Is, well, there, is there a common thread or narrative between the classes? Absolutely. So the next, so I'll just share this. So the next year I did a different storytelling project where I just opened up to the kids and I brought things and we kind of workshop some ideas and we did, maps of the future so maps of their future and again the way they went from linear to three-dimensional to something digital to something literally that was like um a mural on the wall we took i got funding from a local group called voice of witness which is sort of a storytelling ethnography group and so we went on field trips to look at how scientists cartographers and artists view maps and that was the point where we went from scaling right we went from 12 kids coming and our showcase, which we didn't tell anyone about because I thought it wasn't going to be good really, like was like everybody had brought a parent. Wow. This next time there were 60 people that showed up. I do not know how, I did not make an invitation, but they came um, and it just sort of grew from there. During the pandemic, we tried to keep it going. Um, obviously we couldn't meet and Zoom was like not satisfactory. So we tried doing a postcard art yeah. where I create a postcard with a word, a color and a question, a word, a color, a question, a color and a, something else, a pattern, and send it to a kid. They don't really get mail anymore. They don't even know where to put the stamp on people. I had to do some <laughs> scaffolding there. Then they would add to the postcard and send it to another person, That's add cool. an answer. To... It was so cool. It was like it's... a game of telephone. Yeah. It's... That's even better. Yeah, forget postcard art. We're gonna call it like telephone art. The theater's pretty good. Yeah, but this idea that they had an urgency to keep the group together, and this wanted to hold space around novelty and something bigger than school. No, that's a school. Love school, but this wasn't about a graduation. This wasn't about whatever. But let me just say about I'm the kids in the group. One kid went to Fashion Institute, whatever the. The, the one. Yeah, yeah. Another three students went to Ivy League schools. Another student wound up doing a science project in my class that um, took her to the EPA, and then she got recruited by Caltech, MIT, and now she's at Stanford. Wow. And this was at this was, and she said it's because we were working differently in the art space, and that made her think differently about the curiosities she had about science. So I mean, wins all around. So mm -hmm. I'm really bummed that didn't become a class, but it doesn't really get tested so we didn't really have a an in in terms of value that was like financial you know what i'm saying but maybe you know maybe the, the fact that uh the, the judgment of whether or not a class should exist the, the testing oh, could whole, be kind of similar to how like uh, gross domestic products is really the only measure of an economical yeah. growth when in reality like they're uh, the, the happiness of, of the society should well, be an important element of that growth. I wish I could do some of the business math you all do, which is new to me, right? Where you can sort of extrapolate out like value based on things like when I think about the number of students that went into science majors because of this storytelling project, like I feel like we could actually yeah, do some math yeah, around yeah, yeah. the value that the value it would have in that market. But going back to your point, novelty, purpose. Um, and centering their voices in a different way. Like I literally couldn't have been in charge because I didn't know any more what to do than they did, but I could navigate that project manager role, not role, um, about helping <laughs> with resources, keeping on uh, like 
checking in to make sure our goals are still our goals, you know, that kind of thing. So. Have you ever seen that video where, and it must have been from like 20 years ago, but there's a guy dancing in a music festival by himself, and then some other guy runs up, and then a gal runs up, and they're all dancing together. It's it's almost like this like this this momentum of humanity. It sounds like you kind of tapped into that, right? Yeah. It was really, what was also cool is again this idea that when you start these things, where I would call it, there's a book that talks about this. I'm going to what the name of the book is right now, but he talks about how important it is for learning, whether it be in business or in school, that you play away from home, right? Like a sports reference, like. When you're just playing in the classroom, it's just a teacher and your parents. And I mean, yes, they're important, but that's a small thing. When you're in a performative space, a performance space where there's an entire room seeing that slide deck or that NVIDIA, you know, keynote animations or these projects, they would not have been what they were if we kept them inside. We had to have an audience. Yeah. And so that what, what happened is, you know, we didn't just do projects. I had them keep like a running like research notebook as they went to kind of think of ideas and all that. And so other kids would be like, what are you doing? So, and so it's like, oh, it's for a thing I'm doing. And they're like, is it for a class? She's like, no, but I gotta get it done. Like the idea, you're doing work for school, but it's not a class, you're not getting a thing. But then that person would wanna come. So that, you know, so it, it's funny how it spread beyond just our group having a cool experience. It was moving beyond. And I see that with so many of our startup spaces as well. When I first started with you all, like in startup land, um, and tech world here, I didn't understand why y'all kept having all these meetings when none of you were doing the same thing. Don't laugh, but <laughs> we teachers, we don't have, the, <laughs> have that kind of money or time to wander. So we just, like, you just kind of do your thing in your room. And now I understand mm -hmm. that sort of cross pollination. It's not even just about funders um, or maybe partners or collaborators. It's really about keeping in check with the community, mm -hmm. building. Uh, maybe not in the same way, but for similar purposes of, of outreach and value. I mean, I originally just started going into the office now, uh, and I realize that I'm way more productive in the office just because I get to be around other people and we can, like, literally collaborating with another person face-to-face -face mm -hmm. is much more effective than, like, any other substitute, whether it's text, sure. phone, camera, whatever. Yeah. Do you agree? 100%. Because if we get like this, I mean, there needs to be psychological safety, which is an important element of, of Bill Campbell, who wrote the trillion dollar. Actually, it's about uh, Bill Campbell. Um, uh, Eric Schmidt from, from Google had, had written it. But having trust within the group allows people to come up with crazy ideas that, that uh, allow for for Maria, what you mentioned, the cross-pollinization. Um, what, what kind of ideas, uh, and this feels like reading Rainbow. Da -da -da -da. <laughs> Take a look. Yeah, it's a look. look. It's a reading, it's a reading <laughs> Silicon Valley. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, so what, kind of, what kind of things have you found, Peter, uh, around uh, new crazy ideas and, and bouncing off this cross-pollinization of ideas with folks in the office? One thing that we're really, we, we do really well at uh, at least the community department and the mark kind of work with the TikTok marketing department in us is that we, and, and this is really surprising coming from like a Fortune 50 company, is that when we have these brainstorming meetings, we like don't let ego dictate what, who, or who should or shouldn't participate. So everyone, so you, Intel, right? No I know, I know, dude, that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> I'm surprised every day. You must have a cool boss. <laughs> you met him a few times. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Um, we like, 
it doesn't matter if you're the managing director of the marketing team who sometimes sits in our meetings or like if you're the head of community or if you're just like me who is a like contract employee um everyone's ideas are valid we like throw all the ideas like together everyone has x amount of time to like argue what uh which ideas they like which ideas they don't and then it's kind of like an open discussion about which one and the one and then eventually once the like the these brainstorming sessions last about 90 minutes um we the in the goal of the 90 minutes is to whittle all the ideas that we throw onto the board in this case of powerpoint down to 10 and then we have until the end of day or end of week or whatever to um pick from of that 10 what is the top three how do you do that as a how did you do that as a i feel like you're still a teacher to, to some to some degree when you're facilitating a room in discussions it, it, as peter had mentioned like some folks are naturally going to speak more some folks are going to speak less how do you draw them out of your yeah. shell out of their shell and Absolutely. you know like dynamically yeah and i'm sure you have some things to say about that as well if you want to go for i can go first you can first okay yeah so one of the things i've noticed is that you know i am not a shocker. I have no, you know, tell me what you want to talk about. We'll, we'll do the thing. Fortunately, so, you're pretty good at it. And, well, thank you. But also the bummer about that is not just that you might block someone, but the other folks that may not be willing to do that, it's a lot easier to let the rest of us go first. So it's, it's not like everyone's complaining about the, the order of things, right? Mm -hmm. So both to allow space and also to raise expectations. So every voice is in the room because they are twin, like they're on, you know, twin sides of the coin, right? I start in, um, in writing space. So like, and I don't mean write yourself. I mean, I put up butcher paper with a question in the middle and then I time it. Like that's the second part is it's timed. So like I'll do that for maybe three to five minutes where you write your answers mm -hmm. and then everybody looks at them and then we might actually star them or connect them or write connections around them for a learning tool. And the reason why I want to do that is if, if a student is emerging bilingual, this gives them a little chance to think, to read, and to agree. So if they can write a lot, they could star others, right? It allows you to see the other thing I feel like is like, and this is probably true in groups for you all as well, I'm, I'm wondering. Once someone says an idea and you're like, oh, that was mine, then you don't say it. Mm -hmm. But there is an absolute need to know like how often things are showing up organically, right? So like on the paper, because people are doing their own thing, I can see that this one idea came up 10 different times. And that's that's essential knowledge for me because not they don't shouldn't all get equal weight if already there's this one idea that needs more time on the floor to flush out. So for me, this idea of switching up, it's not always talking first, maybe it's writing first, maybe. And then for me, because that's I have really, a dance background. Yeah, well, when, I, when I, I can, I have a whole little protocol I can share with you. It's really, it's very common. I use it with adults too. But the other part that I find um, for students, like learners, like younger folks, I do it with my college and my my high school students, is um, embodied learning. So, for example, if I want to check the pulse to see what people know about DNA, I might say, um, right now, make a shake with your body that shows DNA. So you guys will oh. try it right now. What would it be? Oh, 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 yeah, you've got an animated like one. Okay, so you all just did something interesting. If I say, okay, you all ready? One, two, three, I'll get mostly this or this. And then you'll get someone who does like a motion. You'll get two people that suddenly get up and they're doing some sort of twister game, right? Or someone else does something with their materials. So you, Ooh, wow. I can already do like 
a quick check to see the most basic thing. If I had to distill down to the most basic thing about structure, that's what it is, right? But I can also see some interesting creative ways of doing things that I wouldn't have seen before. Um, you get to learn some layers around who the learner is, like the person that immediately turns to their partner. They had three seconds. It's not like they had a this planned ahead of time, sure. and they immediately do a thing together. Is that, is that what made you uh, such a such an, a successful dancer? Because you did, you did things that were kind of like a little bit outside of the box. Oh, I was a dancer first, and um, even when I got my art degree, I never used dance in my classroom. Yeah, so I mean, everyone knows about Latin dancing now, but it started out, um, I guess you would say salsa, but I wouldn't call those more Cuban, so song or timba, I also do that. I, I, I've trained on all these spaces, New York for, for that, um, Cuba, oh, so you other spaces. Too. Yeah, yeah, so um, I, I do some stuff. I was with Pachanga, Merengue. I do a lot of things um, over the years, and I've taught it every nightclub in the Bay Area, yeah, except for one. I'm not even kidding. Wait, did I ever? I wonder if I've ever yeah. gone to one of your classes. So, it's good, <laughs> but my point being, I never really used it because I felt kind of shy bringing that in my classroom life. Although students will find me on YouTube and be confused about who it is because there's, you know, there's a lot of other glitter, rhinestone things going on. But that being said, then I got a chance to work um, with the MacArthur Genius Grant winner in tap dancing who wanted to learn, uh, who wanted to add some Latin. Uh, kind of uh, moves or techniques into her next choreography. And so uh, she and a partner, I uh, went to help. And in return, I said, well, why don't we do something in my classroom? I'm working on evolution right now. Maybe we could do something with dance to learn evolution, which I know might sound like not a big thing, but she showed some moves. They did, well, they showed some moves. He showed some moves. Uh, it was a whole thing. And then the idea was each student had like uh, something I had taught them about, like a theme in evolution or an idea, and they had to come up with some performance around it three minutes or less they could do it anywhere on campus so we were running around campus like crazy people like trying to find their spot on the football field but this idea that again taking it out of the classroom they were performing it immediately brought well first of all it brought the security guards i'll just be honest um, that was the first audience but right. all those kids on paths that don't actually have to anywhere to go but they keep wandering to the bathroom every single class period they showed up as well like we wound up with a whole like space where even if it had been a failure and they didn't learn evolution the way i wanted one, I knew I could fix it. And two, they learned something about doing something that isn't the norm. And I'll share this with you before I end, um, which is when the tap dancers came to class, we I met them, I wanted them to come to the library to surprise the kids. And one of them immediately jumped up on the table. And as they were introducing themselves, just started to do some things. Wow. And if you could, well, that sounds cool to the kids and I, but then I have more than one adult come over and go, do you know that person? And I'm like, I'm standing right next to them and they're wearing a big visitor patch. Meaning even when we're trying to lead creative spaces, we can also enact structures that are mm -hmm. not allowing creativity. So you talking about how your team is building a space for it really struck me that I was shocked by teachers wow. um, being uncomfortable with someone who's clearly harmless tap dancing on the table. Like, it, you don't have anything to worry about right now. We're, we're good. Um, it was interesting to me that the students were feeling proud that they were doing something yeah. different mm -hmm. um, and, and noticing the reaction to difference and that you need to keep your, your tribe with you so that you can deal with that and not let that shut you down. Wow, wow, that's fascinating. I really appreciate you sharing that, Maria. Thank you so much. Um, so we're about to time it's past the hour, so we're gonna wrap up today. These things always go by so fast. Right. So grateful for both of you. Thank you so much for for joining uh, Devesh and uh, and team here. Uh, be sure to tune in next week where we'll have more of the best brains of the bay. 
excuse me, the week after next is for the first and third uh, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific. So check us out. We're at SiliconZombies.com. And thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Take care, everybody.